Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. The President of the United States is the ultimate classification authority. That means that he holds the legal power to classify or declassify government materials, a power granted to him by the U.S. Constitution. Now, you likely know this, in part because we've covered it here on the show before. Reporter Matt Zapatosky filled us in back in 2018. So then the president has decided to go beyond what the Justice Department has recommended in releasing these documents. Does he have the authority to do that? Absolutely. So material is classified or declassified at the will of the president. He definitely can do this, but it's a question of, like, should he? Back then, we were looking at President Trump's request that national security agencies declassify and release materials related to the Russia investigation. And today, we're essentially looking at Trump's request that national security agencies declassify and release materials related to the Russia investigation. Except this time, there's an intermediary of sorts. Let me explain. President Trump has labeled the investigation into his 2016 campaign a political witch hunt, and he suggested that those who led the investigation committed treason. So, to answer questions surrounding the surveillance of Trump associates and how the investigation began, Attorney General Barr is now auditing that probe into Russia's 2016 election interference. To help with Barr's review process, late last Thursday, Trump issued a memo. That memo granted the attorney general full and complete authority to declassify government secrets in pursuit of his review. Trump's directive gives Barr significant authority over agencies that typically hold their secrets pretty close. So will Barr face pushback from these national security agencies? Can the president merely pass along his classification authority as he sees fit? And is it unusual for the president to grant that classification authority to the head of the Justice Department? This is Can He Do That, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. I turned to national security reporter Devlin Barrett, our expert on all things Justice Department, in order to understand exactly why Barr needs declassification power to conduct his review and what factors led to his pursuit of the audit to begin with. He's doing it because he believes, and he said this publicly, that there was some sort of spying that was done by the government against the Trump campaign. Certainly the folks who were running the FBI at that time disagree vehemently with that characterization, but Barr has said he believes that and he's going to look into it. And is it just spying or is it also what instigated the initial investigation? I think those two things are part of it. Are, are, those two things are interconnected. I think one way to think about this is there is a Justice Department inspector general investigation of a particular part of the Russia investigation. But I think what Barr wants to do is take a broader look, not just at what the FBI did and what the Justice Department did. He wants to look at what the CIA did and maybe what the NSA did. And 
he wants to look at all the intelligence agencies and put them all under the microscope. And again, he seems to be coming at this from a point of view of he thinks something inappropriate may have happened. So that's obviously an interesting dynamic because he is going to essentially be going through the CIA's files. And to be clear, you mentioned the inspector general of the Justice Department's investigation or review. What is he looking into specifically? The inspector general? Yes. The inspector general is looking into the process that went into getting a surveillance warrant from the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. That was a warrant that the Washington Post first reported on against Carter Page's electronic communications. Carter Page was a former Trump campaign advisor whose interactions with the Russian raised suspicions at the FBI. One of the arguments that has gone on for a long time now between Democrats and Republicans is whether or not the surveillance of Carter Page was warranted, whether that was an appropriate thing to do. And so that is what the inspector general is focused on. And the way this works in government, the inspector general really doesn't look beyond the activities inside the Justice Department and the FBI. The DOJ inspector general is not going to go knocking on CIA's door and demanding files. That's not how this works. So what Barr is doing as the attorney general, and he's now got the authority from the president, is saying, I will go to the CIA and I will look at those files. And how exactly would that investigation work? Are we looking at another two-year-long investigation? I doubt it. And in fact, this memorandum from the president that gives Barr the authority to do this, I think part of the reason that exists is to speed up the process. Because if you look at past investigations, there haven't really been any investigations perfectly like this. But if you look at past investigations that involve the Justice Department and the CIA interacting, what tends to happen every time is that once you get toward the end, you end up in a fight, a bureaucratic fight between those two places over what can be declassified. And the CIA will say no to something and the Justice Department will say yes. And that's usually a standoff that can drag on for months. That's what happened uh, when it came to, for example, the the so-called torture memos uh, that were released during the Obama administration. That was a months-long argument. I think part of what Barr wants here is Barr wants to short-circuit that entire argument and say, nope, I'm going to decide. The CIA can weigh in if they want, but I'm going to make the decision and the CIA can't stop me. So Barr essentially requested this power from the president who then granted it for him? That's right. And it really speaks to the degree to which the president trusts Barr as the new attorney general. You know, Barr's only been the attorney general for about 100 days. This is a very early time in his tenure. And already you see him amassing the kind of favor and trust and power from the White House that is very rare. Mm -hmm. Are there any limits on what he has the power to declassify? Or is it whatever he wants? It's whatever he wants in this space. That memo is written broadly enough so that he can look at, in theory, millions of documents and declassify any of those he deems fit. And it's also, you know, it gives it gives the CIA input into that process. But it also makes pretty clear that Barr can ignore the CIA if if he chooses to. And can you explain more about why he needs to declassify things and where declassification fits into his investigative needs? Why does he need to make them declassified? So one of the things that happens with sensitive investigations, particularly investigations involving intelligence gathering, for example, British spies and foreign intercepts, uh, that stuff is all generally classified under the broad category of sources and methods. And the U.S. government doesn't want to do anything that compromises sources and methods. And so in this instance, if you're really going to look at the investigation and how it started and where some of the different permutations of it, 
you're going to have to get into sources and methods. And what the president has done is said, all right, the attorney general can decide on his own at what point it might be worth revealing a source or a method or more than one to put this information out there. And obviously the president comes at this from a very particular point of view, which is like, oh, this is all crooked. This is all, you know, the giant conspiracy against me. Barr seems to have fed into that a bit with his public statements. So it'll be certainly very interesting to see when he does reach the declassification stage, does Barr also characterize these things in a way that align more with what the president has said or align more with what the former intelligence chiefs have said? Right. And in terms of that process, that declassification stage that you mentioned, will he get to the end of his investigation and then declassify the materials behind the findings that he thinks are relevant? Or will he be declassifying things and pushing them out to the public along the way? I don't think he has uh, a hard plan for that. I think Mm -hmm. either is still possible Mm -hmm. at this stage. But I think his plan is to reveal what he finds that he is concerned about. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is going to be a review where he just decides at the end of it, okay, now I know the answers. Thank you all. Right. He wants the public to see as much of the evidence behind those answers as possible. Yes, he has said that and he's he's made every indication that that's that's his goal. Can we talk a little bit more about declassification power in general? This is a power that the president has broad authority over. Can he simply just bestow this upon any member of his cabinet or any appointee, or are there rules around that? Well, he did, and and so we know he can. Right. What's interesting? That's the thesis of this podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and normally, the CIA or the Director of National Intelligence would push back very, very hard on uh, this kind of surrender of their control of their own information. I mean, think about this for a minute from the CIA's point of view. You're now being told, well, some other guy in some other department is going to look at all of your secrets in this space and decide what he wants to make public. That is not how the government normally operates. Um, and look, there are people who you know, cover national intelligence or, or you know, lawmakers who work in the space of national intelligence, which who would argue very forcefully that there's too many secrets already. Like the the culture and the work culture of secrecy is bad in and of itself. So revealing things that have been secret up till now isn't necessarily a bad thing. However, it does change the balance of power within the government between the CIA and the Justice Department. And it'll be interesting to see if there are long-term effects of that because in the past when these two agencies have fought over declassification, the public doesn't see much of that, but those are intense and and often bitter arguments mm-hmm. between those two. Have we seen before a president give the attorney general this kind of power? No, that that we haven't seen. What what tends to happen when there are fights on along this line is sometimes those fights will escalate up to the White House, and then the White House officials or the president will have to at some point referee the battle, and that can happen, and that often does happen because. Ultimately, the ultimate classification authority in this country is the president. And what the president is saying here is essentially, you don't even need to bother me with the details. I've already picked which side I want to win any battles that may arise out of this. So just go and do it. It sort of short circuits a larger, more complicated bureaucratic process that is usually involved in this stuff. Right. Are there any risks we haven't covered in giving an attorney general this kind of power? Well, I think it depends in the sense of, Bill Barr, in his younger days, was a lawyer at the CIA. Part of the rationale behind doing this is, you know, Barr has some CIA experience. He's not just going to, you know, bull in a china shop this whole thing. Uh, However, I think Barr's public statements have made the former intelligence officials pretty concerned. 
and they feel as if the attorney general is trying to essentially either protect the president or settle scores for the president in some fashion, help the president politically through his job as the nation's top law enforcement official. That's very alarming to some of them. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are going to be watching to see, okay, what do you actually have that is alarming? Throwing out this term of spying is a very loaded term. Barr insists he doesn't mean it that way, but obviously that's the way the wider world hears it. So it'll be very interesting to see at, at the end of the day, really, does, what does Barr come up with that's meaningful that the average person will say, oh, okay, I, I understand the concern now. Right. And spying is a word that the president has used. So how uses does- it a lot. Right. So how does- this new development fit into the larger story of the relationship between Trump and Barr and how it's perceived not only by the intelligence community, but by Republicans and Democrats in Congress. At this point, I think you can make a pretty decent argument that Barr is the president's favorite cabinet official. Barr has done more for the president in this space than than anyone else has. And obviously, this is an issue that the president cares very strongly about. He seems to not be able to help but speak about it all the time. And so the fact that Barr seems not, not just willing but eager to embrace this issue and try and tackle it and in theory deliver something that will make the president happy, I think just shows you the degree to which those two people get along very well, have a very good relationship. And, and frankly, at a time when <laughs> there's a lot of structural reasons and, and factual reasons why any attorney general might have a problem with President Trump. But in this case, what we're seeing is they're actually getting along very, very well. And did Mueller's statement on Wednesday change any of that? I don't think it changes the relationship. I think the president, as far as we can tell, still believes very strongly that Barr is in his corner. And I don't think anything Mueller said changes the mind of Bill Barr because Bill Barr has been fairly clear about how he reads and thinks of the Mueller report. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it moves that dial. I, I do think there's sort of an interesting we're baking in the tension now between the the Justice Department and Congress. This is going to become, you know, in some ways the, the, the drama and the anger is being transferred from the White House DOJ relationship to the Congress DOJ relationship. And so it'll be interesting to see to what degree do Democrats try to exact a political price from Barr for always taking, the, seemingly always taking the president's side. So my last question to you, as you continue to follow Barr's now investigation into an investigation, are there specific declassified materials that you are looking for or specific materials you expect to emerge from his investigation? Well, there's a couple things. There is the use of a longtime FBI informant witness in England, and there is the use of that person that I think there are a lot of open questions about. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, to the degree that there are documents that def explain that relationship and explain those activities a little better. I think that's a big, a big open question in this process. And the other part of it is while we have seen a redacted version of the Carter Page FISA warrants, uh, we haven't seen all of those. And it may be that they will reveal other parts of those warrants that will change our understanding in some way of what happened in that case. Mm -hmm. And that would certainly be very interesting. Those are the two main ones that we know of that we're curious about. But there's also the question of the unknown unknowns, right? Um, what else may have happened that has just not surfaced and would be completely new to our understanding of what happened? Right. All right. Well, we'll look out for your reporting on this. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks. 
This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you would classify this show as a good one, leave us a review wherever you review your podcasts and keep on listening. Thanks so much. Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the dedicated Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Loren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 